Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing the show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out tangiboundnetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains. You can do it. You can do it. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode of the PCC Multiverse, we're talking a possible Matrix reboot and why that would have one of us going down a different rabbit hole plus we're talking our final four when it comes to superheroes the controversial beauty and the beast tv shows you should binge on is james gunn saying too much about guardians of the galaxy volume 2 and should naughty dog leave the uncharted series behind we'll talk about all those great subjects plus we'll have a taste of the latest what about this podcast another piece of the great debate with rob mccallum and a hit song from Moy Navarro. It's another championship hour we have for you today as we once again delve into the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. How is everybody out there? My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here with my good friend, co-conspirator here in the Pop Culture Cosmos universe, and the man behind Humanican Media is Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? Good, good, good. I'm uh, I'm ready to discuss some some pop culture stuffs. Let's 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 do this. Well, I know you got a lot on your mind, and I know we got a lot on our plate today. We truly appreciate you being part of the program. Again, check us out every single Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Podcast Radio Network. If you cannot get us on the Podcast Radio Network for some reason. And we certainly hope you do. We are also available for download free of charge on iTunes, Stitcher, 
podcast.com, Google Play, TuneIn, also as well, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network as well. And as of right now, it seems to be working on every one of our download channels that we're adding a bonus episode, like our previous episode that we put up there, which was the Pop Culture Cosmos show. We were able to sneak in the latest episode of the What About This podcast. So you're as of right now, but if you want to check, uh, make sure everything's okay, go to our Facebook page, Pop Culture Cosmos, where you can still enter. You still have time to enter. You'll have up until Saturday night to enter into the contest. If you like us on Facebook at Pop Culture Cosmos, you'll be entered to win a, well, possibly a chance at a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda for the PC, Xbox One, or PS4. That's right. The grand prize, we'll pick one winner, is for a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda. But you must like our page, Pop Culture Cosmos, by Saturday night, 318. Indeed. So, and then also, like I said, we'll give you updates exactly what's going on, where you can find us, and also if there are bonus episodes that are tacked on to our great, great podcast. Indeed. Before we hit up on uh, something that you really want to talk about and that you actually said, I got to talk about this, Gerald, on the PCC multiverse, tell us what's going on with Humanican Media. Uh, we are, we're in the process right now of, uh, putting our studio together. So that's kind of been a long time project. So as soon as that's done, we'll have a lot more going on. But uh, right as of right now, we have a bi-weekly podcast called the What About This Podcast. And if you follow the, them on Twitter at what or W-A-T underscore podcast and you ask them questions, they'll actually answer your questions during the show. So, uh, you know, it's just four guys like to talk about ridiculous things. Doesn't matter how strange the topic is, just throw it out there and they will talk about it. And um, we also have the Super Bro Station Games cast. We took a break this week, but we'll be back next week. And um, yeah, just stay tuned. We have a lot, lot. There's a lot of big stuff on the horizon. I can't. I'm not going to talk about it yet because I don't have any for sure details. But I will let you guys know asap. Sounds good indeed. There's a lot of great stuff that that if you want to know and you want to stay in the know, just want to check out Humanican Media on Facebook or Humanican Media on Twitter. And you'll be right there in the know with all everything going on with Josh Peterson and all of his great stuff indeed. Or Pop Culture Cosmos because we actually have and share a lot of stuff between each other as far as the latest info indeed. So one of the latest news items that I posted on our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page was something very interesting and something that caught Josh Peterson's eye very, very quickly. And that was a possible reboot by Warner Brothers over, well, a lot of things. I know in Hollywood they try to reboot everything, and there is no, pretty much no brand new ideas out there. We get that. Uh, I understand that. And there's a lot of properties that we've seen over the course of the past few years that have been redone and and not gotten over with audiences. And there's been a couple that have. Well, actually, one of the more recent properties that is uh, about to possibly be rebooted, it's in the works, is a Matrix reboot, which is something that is not so near and dear to Josh's heart. And I I know he wanted to talk about it today. So, Josh, I ask you this. What are your thoughts on a possible, which is looking by the day more and more likely, a Matrix reboot? It's a horrible idea. It really is like who tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I mean, I was okay. 
granted, I didn't like get go into all the details. I didn't read the details about it, but like I was genuine, genuinely like not upset, but kind of like, why would you do this? I was at the point where I wanted to actually go and discourage people from even like reading the article about it because the matrix did not, I mean, it was entertaining, but it didn't end on a note where I was like, I really like more of this. Like it, it was just, it was a movie. What was good about it, it started and it stopped. Like there was, there's nothing left in that universe to explore. The war with the machines is done and there's just, there's nowhere else for the story to go. So this is a total and complete cash grab. And I know it just from the deep, like the, the stories and articles that, that are out there, people have been saying that it's not an actual reboot. So which that's good, I guess. But as far as like, uh, you know, with a soft reboot or whatever with Michael B. Jordan, it's like, it's not, there's nothing there. That universe has been kind of milked dry. I well, mean, first it, all, I'll first say this. Did you understand what was going on in the second and third matrix movies? So I was I was in and out. It was uh, they were more to me like action set pieces. Like I get you know oh uh, Neo's get the philosophy of it, the the back and forth, or were you confused like a general portion of the audience when trying to explain the intricacies of the development between humans and computers and and why the computers were doing what they were doing and, and the philosophies behind it? It seemed to get a little bit nonsensical after a period of time. It did. From what I understand, the the machines rebelled because that's what was in the Animatrix, right? That was that whole story with them, the machines eventually developing a conscience and uh, you know rebelling against their human uh, their human creators. And we like I I get like in essence like the entire thing is like Neo is supposed to be like Jesus or something like that's that's kind of what I took away from the the trilogy as a whole was that you know. Neo was the one, or what? Whatever. I don't know. The philosophies yeah. were really weird. It was just, it was, it was fun to watch. But there's not, it's not a universe that I was like, man, I would really love to revisit this thing. That, that I mean, that, that's just me. I, I don't know how America feels about it. But well, I can tell you how I feel about it. Uh, first off, as much as I like to clown on the second and third Matrix movies, they're still watchable whenever they come on TV. But if you try to follow them closely, you, you're it's not very good. It, it, they're both not, they both fall apart when compared to the the original, which is part of my top twenty five films. And I'm actually going to be posting that before this actually airs on the podcast radio network. So this will be up Friday, and my uh, top twenty five films will include The Matrix somewhere in there. So I'm lo- definitely looking forward to posting that. Indeed, and I can't wait to see Josh's top twenty five which I know he's probably got coming somewhere around the corner, I hope, I hope. This is what that, it was a daunting task. It's like asking me, like, you know, what my favorite type of breathing is. Like, I just, I like so many of them. I don't know <laughs> which one to pick. Well, I'm more, you know, it was over 5,500 words for me, so I definitely was a daunting task indeed, but I'm, I'm still going to hold you to it, man. Still got to hold you to it. It's already going to be up. By the time you hear this on the podcast radio network, so I'm really looking forward to to hearing everyone's thoughts on their top films. But going back to The Matrix, it is one of my top films. It was a brilliant piece of art, and I just cannot wait till uh, I'm looking forward to the day that that maybe we don't have to talk about this anymore because there is no room for a Matrix reboot, soft or otherwise, especially if Keanu Reeves or the Wachowski sisters 
are no longer going to be involved in the project. Wait, sis- sisters? Do they both get sex changes? I had no idea. Yes. But getting back to the story, yes, uh, the Wachowski sisters are have not been asked to be part of it yet, to and my knowledge or anything I read online. Also, as well, Keanu Reeves has said he would love to be a part of it if they're involved. So if they're not involved, he's not going to be involved. And it looks like at this point, neither are going to be involved. And if if you know that's the case, we most likely consider Carrie Ann Moss, Lawrence Fishburne, Hugo Weaving. They're probably not going to be involved in it either. So I really don't know what – it's going to be something related to The Matrix and name only. And that that in Hollywood really has never worked with any real – consistency so definitely not looking forward to a matrix reboot myself so but did you have final thoughts on, on why you think they're going to go back and, and into the well and warner brothers is going to try and see out more fame with a matrix name keanu reeves during an interview for john wick said that if the material was right he would return to the matrix and that was what's that was what got these whole this whole thing started with michael b jordan that these articles popped up almost immediately after those ones did so i wonder I wonder if they had, they've had this plan for a while, but they're just waiting to see if fans had any interest in something like this. Either way, there's not, there is genuinely no story left in that universe unless they're like going for a prequel or, you know, some kind of side story. It's like you said, there was really nothing more to tell, especially the way the, the series ended because it seemed to have ended on a climactic note. So, written there was really no more, nowhere left to turn for the machines, or as far as the conflict with the humans, as far as that's concerned. So, definitely out there, if you have your thoughts on a possible Matrix reboot, you just let us know what your thoughts are. That's popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, or send us a message on Twitter, Humanican Media, or also as well, Pop Culture Cosmo. Or you can send us a message through Facebook, Humanican Media again, and then also Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And if you like the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page by Saturday, when you're hearing this, March 18th, then you can become eligible for a prize. Like I said, that we're drawing, which is Mass Effect Andromeda. So definitely looking forward to that indeed. Getting one lucky winner there. Best of luck out there to each and every one of you who does like our page. We do thank you so much for doing so. We truly appreciate it. It's going to be a great show right here tonight on the PCC Multiverse. We've got a lot of great things coming up. We're going to be cho- we're going to be talking the Uncharted series. We're going to be talking a little bit about Beauty of the Beast. We're going to be talking our some TV shows that you might want to get into. Plus, uh, in, it's basketball season, college basketball. You know, everybody's going into March Madness, and we thought we'd get involved with the March Madness too, with a, our picks on the Final Four. But for superheroes, we're going to find out a little bit later on in the broadcast. Also, as well, we're going to have a little bit of sample of that. What about this podcast we were talking about earlier, and also a little bit of a sample as well from Rob McCallum Films. The Great Debate and what they're going to be talking about, the the best NES game, and they're just going to be talking about that indeed. So definitely looking forward to that as well. But for right now, before we head on to the break, we're just going to be able to play for you something from Moy. Now, before we head to the break, can you just let us know, Josh, a little bit more about Moy Navarro? Yeah, Moy's an interesting guy. He's... Um... You know, he's a very talented musician, talented songwriter. He, 
he does a lot. I know he was working with Disney for a bit, writing music for them. His uh, he's he kind of started back, I think, in the early two two thousands with you know putting records out and stuff. And he he talked to me, and he's in the process of writing some new music right now. But right now, he's just trying to get get back out there and get his music heard by people. And I said, hey, let's uh, let's let's put it up on the pop culture cosmos. So. You know, you guys, if, if you like it, you can check him out on Facebook. He has his own website. He uh, And you, you can even let send us an email, let us know what you think, and we'd love to relay the feedback. And here comes one of those songs right now. It's Moy Navarro with Reveal right here on the PCC Multiverse. Don't look me in the eye to tell me what to say. You're my only friend. I keep pushing you away. I want to know the truth Even if it hurts I'll show you my broken bones A childhood shattered and exposed Would you reveal yourself to me? Naked soul dwells on bare feet And through the lies and all I've done You forget to give this love a go That was Moy with Reveal. Check out his work today on the Moy Navarro channel on YouTube. Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
Hey everyone, if you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that punting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways. So if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today, 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach and get your home looking great with always green synthetic turf and putting greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse channels. And we're back with another segment right here at the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford, and I'm here with Josh Peterson. We're coming at you straight from the Podcast Radio Network. If you like what we have here on our Friday show, do not forget our Monday show, which is the number one rated show on the Podcast Radio Network. It's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. That's Monday nights, 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. We truly appreciate everyone listening out there. We're, what was it, over almost 21,000 people listened to us last month. Is that correct on the Podcast Radio Network? Yeah, that was, uh, the numbers came back and they were, they were over 20,000. So we, we appreciate you guys listening to us. Seriously, we, we love to talk about this stuff and it's great to know that there are like-minded people out there. Indeed. And we were overwhelmed when we actually saw the numbers and saw that we were had the highest debuting show, the PCC multiverse and the number one overall show on the network, the pop culture Cosmos show. And I can tell you firsthand from both Josh and I, we, we thank you so much and we're truly overwhelmed. So right now I want to talk a little bit about the uncharted series. Everybody knows uncharted four came out last year to do great acclaim, great sales, uh, and then also there's still going to be uh, one standalone DLC that uh, Naughty Dog is working on that's related to the Uncharted universe. In interviews stated in regards to promoting this upcoming standalone DLC, Naughty Dog has clearly stated that it is most likely will be their last go around in the universe of Uncharted. So I ask you this, Josh. How much will you miss Naughty Dog influence in the Uncharted series? Now that you're finally getting a taste like I have for years, what are your thoughts as far as the Uncharted universe now that you're getting an extended taste of it? And where do you think the series can go without the creators of this this great series itself? Hopefully not in the same direction as Halo 5. I'll start with that. But uh, no, I just, I just finished Uncharted 4. It was a lot of fun. It was... It's one of those games where you can really just kind of sit back and play it without like worrying about getting frustrated over not being able to beat parts or like you don't really have to think a lot. It's like it, you're you don't you hardly even notice the controllers in your hand, and I loved it so much. It's such a great game. As far as like the sequels go, I 
you know, it, Naughty Dog has done a great job and they've created this foundation for whoever wants to pick the series up after that. But I don't, I, I have a hard time believing that Naughty Dog won't eventually return to the Uncharted franchise because, you know, when a property is popular, game developers will often try to venture off and do something new saying like, oh, we're done with that. But, you know, look at Bethesda and a lot of like the properties that they've created, like Brink, for example, was a disaster. And they immediately went back and created a new Fallout game after that. So I don't think that, you know, I, I wouldn't count Naughty Dog being out of the race, but if they are, I would love to see another developer pick up the game and, you know, Naughty Dog has created the formula for it and this great foundation. I think that it, the game is in good hands. No, no matter, I mean, honestly, the, the Uncharted games are so much fun and you would have to be, you'd have to try really hard to mess that series up because it's pretty much flawless the way it is right now. Am, am I wrong in thinking that? Nope, it's my favorite series of all time. I think it is probably, you know, I'm sorry to all Zelda fans out there and I'm sorry to, to any other Halo fans or or any Call of Duty or any other fans that are out there of any other series. For my money, it is the best video game series of all time. Uh, from a narrative standpoint, there is nothing that that sets the pace better than that series. And I, I've said this in public on several occasions, and I'll stand by it today. Even with Mass Effect around the corner with Andromeda, it's still Uncharted for me all the way. I know if they were to go in a different direction with another company, for because I know Sony at some point will want to go back to the Uncharted series. There is a possibility, you know, they've done it before. Band Studios did the the great title of one of the best titles on the PlayStation Vita with Uncharted Golden Abyss. So that's something to think about if Band Studios has that familiarity already with the with the actual series itself. Right. I mean, I think that if really like Uncharted, what it needs is a good storyteller. Like once you have that nailed down and a good script for the game. The rest of it really, like, as far as the mechanics go and, you know, the, the puzzles and the uh, the enemies, the fights, it's pretty basic stuff for, like, whoever decides to pick it up. It shouldn't be, you know, super complicated to make. And um, I, I don't know, like, Naughty Dog kind of did a huge time jump in the epilogue of Uncharted 4. So, you know, there's still, maybe there's a lot of story to tell in between, you know them getting the uh, the marine business and their their daughter being born, but at the same time, it could also be interesting to see the daughter pick up the mantle of the Drake. So you know you have those moments where you're playing with Drake and Elena. Maybe you play with Drake and the daughter, or some combination of the of the three. You know that would be fun to see. There's there's, there's a lot of places the franchise can go. Is what I'm getting at. Nathan Drake becomes the Sully of the actual Uncharted series, and the daughter becomes the actual globe-trotting uh, explorer, so, so to speak. And, and then Nathan Drake becomes the voice of reason, and, and uh, Elena uh, is somehow in there as well, also providing even more of a voice of reason. I can see that definitely happening. And that's definitely an excellent idea indeed. So if you have any out there for the Uncharted universe, ideas, thoughts, concepts things you may want to see done or if you just want the uncharted series to end let us know pop culture cosmo on twitter humanican media on twitter pop culture cosmos or humanican media on facebook and if you like our facebook page pop culture cosmos by saturday you'll be in the running for a prize of mass effect andromeda 
When we return, we're going to be talking in a little while about James Gunn. Blue Slips Sink Ships, as far as, you know, the way he's been talking lately about the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, is a little bit too much. Well, we're going to share our thoughts, if, if too much has been spoken about it already, by the director coming up here right after we play a segment from The Great Debate with Rob McCallum. Check it out. Welcome to The Great Debate, the special edition without J-Rock again. So you're stuck with your host, Rob, mediating between our two video game hosts themselves. Mike the Greek of Joystick Judgment Day faces off against Jedi J of the Arcade. And what might be one of the most controversial episodes of The Great Debate is we try to figure out the best NES game out there. Now, of course, there's a big asterisk on this one. We aren't going to be talking about the Mario series at all because both shows, uh, Great Debate in its infancy and Jedi J on the arcade, they all we've all kind of said that Mario 3 might be the best NES game of all time. Maybe even think, the best uh, game of all time. Yeah, I don't think Joystick Judgment Day is going to dispute that one either. So there you go, three for three. So we're sticking to some other of the NES classics. Uh, oh my god. And we've got it broken into five rounds. Ten games will be facing off for what I'm going to declare is the best NES game outside Mario 3. In round one, we've got Contra versus Final Fantasy. Round two, Tecmo Bowl versus Blades of Steel. Round three, Zelda versus Mega Man 2. Round four, Battletoads versus Ninja Gaiden. And round five is Metroid versus Castlevania. So, Mike the wow. Greek versus Jedi J. Round one, Mike the Greek has picked Contra. Jedi J, you've got Final Fantasy. All right. We're going to go with Mike the Greek first. Mike, the floor is yours. Well, I have to say, Rob, if it weren't for Contra, I don't think we'd ever have games like Gears of War, like Call of Duty. Any, Pretty much any action game that we play today owes some kind of debt to the run-and-gun mechanics that were basically established and perfected with Contra. That was one of those games when I was, I'd say, maybe eight or nine years old. That was the game that if it was like a, an ice storm outside, you got the shovel out and you went to your buddy's house to play it if you didn't have it. Even if you did have it, you just had to go play the co-op. It um, it, 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 it introduced uh, the Konami code. It's just so legendary. And I think it's one of those games that a sequel only comes out like maybe every 10 years. So it's always a big thing when a new grinder Contra comes out. And again, Contra 3 probably was one of the greatest SNES games as well. Okay, thank you, Mike the Greek. Jedi J, you have the floor. Feel free to refute anything he has said about Contra, or feel free to just outright promote Final Fantasy. The floor is yours. Okay, so is this going to be, like, I'm just curious, because Mike talked about Contra 3 and whatnot. So this is the Final Fantasy series? Well, I mean, just... you, you can choose to define your argument as, as you so wish. I'm, we're trying to keep it to the NES game, the specific one, the first one. That was kind of a sprinkle in the cupcake there, Jay. So that was kind of like, I'm not really talking about the series, but more just kind of bringing it into perspective. By, uh, on yeah. a side note, I think it's interesting that you have to point to the third game and not talk about the first one. Maybe there's something wrong with that. Go ahead, Jedi Jedi. The floor is yours. <laughs> wow. Wow. I think you two should be going at it. But anyways... Um, in this debate, I just want to point out I'm not about to slam any of these games because they're all incredible Okay, games. quit being the Democratic guy. I yeah, want to make without any of these titles, there would not be the games we have today. Why is Final Fantasy better than Contra? 
catch all the great debate episodes today on the Rob McCallum Films channel on YouTube. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Hey everyone, venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. Every Monday night. 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. All right, and we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here with my good friend Josh Peterson, also of Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanican Media. Want to check out all the great things we have available on the Pop Culture Cosmos website. That's popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, including... Josh is, uh, well, Josh, can tell me about the review that you posted up there real recently that people can check out on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Yeah, I got a chance to get my hands on BitPlay's uh, camera case and phone lens, and it's it's a really neat product. You can read my review on popculturecosmos.com, but basically what it does is if you're one of those people who are interested in uh, cell phone photography, which is you know just about in every hipster in America right now, you can kind of turn your cell phone into a DSLR camera. Uh, you know, remember, you're still playing around with the cell phone, but it's a great alternative if you're just one of those people who likes to take pictures with your phone and go places. Uh, honestly, like, this is good for the fact that you don't have to lug it all around. So you can just, you know, there's the case and the lens comes in a little bag here. Um, yeah, but check out my review. I, I've had a good time playing around with it. You can see some of the pictures I took. And then, uh, you know, decide for yourself. But I think that it's a, an excellent product. That's awesome to hear indeed. And also they can check out my top 25 films at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com and hopefully Mr. Josh Peterson's as well very soon. I want to ask you a little question. I want to ask you a little question indeed, Josh. Uh, if you can just elaborate a little bit more, your thoughts on uh, – I know you and I are both excited about going to see – Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I know it's something that both you and I are looking forward to. But I want to ask you, in interviews for the Belko experiment, James Gunn, who has a vested interest in the movie that's going to be opening in limited number theaters this weekend, I want to ask you real quick, he's been saying a lot of things in you know interviewing for the Belko experiment about his upcoming movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and obviously people are caring less about the Belko experiment, and they're caring more about what he's saying. Little bits and pieces, maybe sometimes a little bit of things he's trying to mislead people on or or whatnot, but he's also saying a lot about stuff that, that might be included or might that might people might want to catch on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Is he saying too much, or are you still not worried at all about what he's letting out to the consumer base at large so to me the gardens of the galaxy is kind of like a confetti cannon that you can you know there's lots of cool stuff coming out of it and it's really hard to like like he kind of did the same thing with the last gardens of the galaxy but he he, he said a lot about the movie but it didn't really affect you know movie goers when they're sitting in the audience there's still a lot of really fun stuff in there to watch and i think with uh, with this movie he's 
you know, he's he's giving you he's keeping you interested. What when the release date is what? It's uh sorry, refresh my is it March? Is that when when it comes well, out? The Belco experiment? No, no, no. Uh Gern, what are we talking about? Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, right? he well he's doing a lot of publicity for his movie, The Belco Experiment, because he has a, a great hand in that that movie. And in doing so, they also want to the. It's like you know when you're when you're interviewing all the stars or whatnot, and they're on they're doing promotions for, let's say, like Samuel L. Jackson. He's doing promotions for King Kong Skull Island. But guess what? They're going to ask him while he's there. They're asking him about questions about this or Tom Hiddleston. They're asking him about question about Kong Skull Island, but what they really want to ask is, and they end up asking is about Thor Ragnarok. So right. that being said, he's you know answering a lot of questions regarding the Belko experiment, but he's answering even more questions, which is opening up a whole can of worms when it comes to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So so your thoughts on that, and is he saying too much, and is it, because of that, is there a lot of stuff leaking out there? See, that's like the, the the gift and curse of being a director for Marvel is one, yeah, it's great. People are excited about your Marvel film, but the second at the on the other side of that coin, you can't really promote any of your other projects because all people really care. I mean, there are probably reporters who show up just to talk about your Marvel film. So I and, you know, as far as giving too much away, I don't I don't think he's giving too much away. Like the it's still a fun movie to watch, and I think because it, it is the Guardians of the Galaxy. There, people are still going to go see it, even if he, you know, tells them a lot about the movie. People are still going to want to go see it, and they're still going to love it. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think there, are, there are other movies like, yeah, a, you know, a Captain America or Iron Man movie. Obviously, you don't want to give a lot away about those, because but, he, uh, you know, in interviews he actually pretty much confirmed as well that there's going to be a GOTG three. Although that's not exactly so much of a surprise. Yeah, I mean that that's that's expected, but. Um, you know, I, I'm just glad he didn't give away what's going to be leading into Guardians of the Galaxy 3 as far as like the story leading up to it, because we still have number two and we have Avengers Infinity Wars. And so I just, I don't want to know anything about Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I want to get through these next movies with the Guardians of the Galaxy inside them. Um, and, and I think as long as he keeps his mouth shut about that, I think fans will be okay with whatever uh, information he chooses to pass on about the movie. Well, he, but he's explaining a lot about ego's powers and about the background. Maybe things that these are things that are not exactly in the movie per se, but if they are, I'd like to find out within the framework of the movie itself. It just would be nice if I could do that. But you know, I I read all this stuff online, and and I'm not even looking for it, but it keeps on popping up, and it's just like. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, but think about it too, because you can like a lot of this stuff. You can pick up any, you know, any comic book, and you can find out a lot about this stuff. You too. Like, I, I get to where it would be frustrating for like the, you know, someone who doesn't read a lot of comic books who just likes to go and enjoy the movie. But but if you type, not, let me put it this way: if you type up James Gunn right now on a search and you put in news, the latest news on him, very little of it is the Belco experiment. Most of it is the interviews he did for the Belko experiment that's talking yeah. about Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy Volume 2. They're, they don't care about the Belko experiment. That's his project, his little pet project. That's great, and that's all. But they're pushing that to the side. Forget about that movie. All they care about is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That, that's like that movie that Joss Whedon did before Avengers Age of Ultron came out, Much Ado About Nothing, that Nathan Fillion in it. 
that movie just got crushed underneath the wave of people asking about Avengers Age of Ultron. All the hype about that movie just got completely lost. So you got to know that that is going to happen. You have to know that, like, that is a curse. That That's like, there are so many people who care so much about Marvel. And now you kind of see where, like, Ben Affleck got frustrated with the whole Batman thing. So it's it's a gift and a curse. Uh, you know, as soon as their contracts are up, maybe they can go back to making more artsy things. But you're still going to have that reporter show up saying, hey, are you going to do an Iron Man 4 or Captain America 4 and so on and so forth. Well, I just hope he doesn't say too much for, more about it. I do wish all the be- best of success in the world to the Belco experiment, but when you're only opening in less than 2,000 theaters, you pretty much just want it out there for an audience to enjoy and like a, a little bit, but then you're you're mainly targeting a home video audience to me. That's what it seems like anyways, but I'm wishing all the success in the world for that that movie, and obviously you know, I'm hoping he won't say too much more about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 because I don't want it spoiled. I want to actually enjoy it in the theater watching it because as also one of my movies in the top 25 films for Gerald Glassford is concerned, if you could, you know, you want, you can check it out at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. You'll see Guardians of the Galaxy firmly entrenched in that, that top 25 and definitely is one of one of my all-time favorite films. I definitely want to see that sequel for sure. And I would like to not have it spoiled as, as, you know, as much as possible. So what are your thoughts on, on saying too much about films uh, upcoming, especially blockbusters? Share us your thoughts, Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter, Humanican Media on Twitter, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, and also Humanican Media on Facebook. And if you like our Pop Culture Cosmos page by Saturday night, 318, you can go ahead and be, you'll be eligible for a grand prize that we're going to be picking one winner for a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda. Well, we're going to be back in a little bit with some thoughts about the, the Beauty and the Beast mega hit that's that's out in the wild. And then we're also going to be talking about a little bit, because it's March Madness, we're going to be talking about our final four picks for superheroes and some TV shows that you don't want to miss. And you should go ahead and, and really make your way to try and binge on but first, we're going to have a little taste of the Humanican Media creation. Josh, tell us a little bit more about What About This. What About This is interesting in the fact that it is a genuinely interesting podcast. It's not something that, you know, it's not formulated. It's not scripted. It's just four guys pick a topic and they just they just go at it. Like they, they talk about it, they discuss, they don't usually agree. And most of the times they end up ganging up on Travis, but... The beautiful thing about it is that, you know, they thrive on that kind of situation. They can they can insult each other and still just go on and keep having the argument. There's like literally no emotions there. It's just pure intelligence and interest in the topic. So it is called the What About This podcast. And there are two episodes up right now. You can find them on podbean.com, uh, podcast.com, iTunes. Uh, it's part of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. You can catch it on there on the Pop Culture Cosmos Mixcloud, YouTube, Facebook, and um, if you tweet, if you send them a tweet at wat underscore podcast, asking them literally any question, they will answer it on the podcast. So I encourage you to do that because they they love to talk. Of, they will literally just talk about anything. So you can send them the craziest question you can think of, and they will ask it on the podcast. And I realize saying that is dangerous. But uh, hey, you know, check it out, see what happens. 
Sounds great indeed. And here's a taste of it right now. It's the What About This podcast from Humanica Media, part of our PCC Multiverse. Uh, all right. Welcome to What About This, episode two. I'm Keith. There's Travis. Ryan. I'm Kyle. So this episode, we got into social media, um, but this wasn't your typical anti-social media rant. This was looking at what we post and asking the question, why do we post what we post? What does it really tell us about who we are, about the way we interconnect, uh, the way we form our, uh, our social self, the way we form our identity? And so we're really trying to go about this and pull apart what the post really means in a bigger picture, right? In a bigger context. So that's what the episode's about. Um, we still have uh, uh, our sponsor from last uh, episode. So Kyle, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, What About This is sponsored by Always Green Synthetic Grass. Check them out at agsgrass.com for all your synthetic landscaping needs. All right. So um, let's roll the episode. For this week, I was thinking about this, and it's something I've worried, not worried, wondered about for a long time. Um, I've noticed, and, and since social media has become a trend, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago, um, I've noticed that, that we, it's used for, and this started really becoming more prevalent when Twitter started, is that people like to put in their, their status updates. They put in that, 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 you know, what they're doing that day. I'm going to lunch, just went to the gym, um, just got a new car, whatever it is. And, and small or big, they're putting a lot of really ultimately mundane things. And my question isn't like, it's not that it's irritating. It's not any of that. It's not like the typical rants against social media. My question is more, what is behind that? So why do people decide to put status updates that like I went to the gym today or I'm going to brunch or something like that? Something really small that, that when I see it, I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but ultimately I don't care. And it, it's not that I, I don't care for that person. It's just, I'm, I, what do I do with this piece of information, right? So that's kind of my question is, when people put that up, like, what do I do with this information? Why are they doing that? What's the point behind it? Um, so that's the topic today. Well, what, but why do you want to know that? Because it's become such a phenomenon. Because it really is irritating? <laughs> no, honestly, it, it is genuine curiosity. Why do people think that they need to? Put that up because I do. I would say this. I think it's a need. I don't think it's a. Uh, I think people think they need to do this. There's some reason that they're doing it, and I want to try to dig down and, and get to what is the thing behind it, if there is anything behind it. That was the What About This podcast available today on Humanica Media on YouTube, Facebook, Podbean, and Podcast.com. This is the PCC Multiverse. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with another segment from the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, along with my good friend Josh Peterson of Humanican Media. Check us out again every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. 
We're also available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Podcast.com, also as well, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network as well. We truly appreciate you listening to any way you can get our program and also our big number one show on the Podcast Radio Network, the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, is also available on all those channels as well. Just type in Pop Culture Cosmos, and it houses both of our great shows indeed. And then also some of the locations have also the Humanity Media stuff as well, so check that out indeed. So I want to ask you, today, well, it's it's all over the place. It's going to be hitting big at the box office. It is Disney's latest great film to come out to, to buco box office numbers. It's Beauty and the Beast. It's most likely going to garner well over $200 million, if not $250 million this weekend worldwide to the box office. So I ask you, there were some controversies uh, a little bit, you know, in regards to one of the characters, which uh, personally I think is way overblown and, and unnecessary and people just need to get life on. But, hey, you know, if, if people want to make a big deal about things, people are going to do it. So what can you do? Um, but if it's much to do about nothing or not, obviously the audience has decided with such a massive hit that's going to be be out there with the Beauty and the Beast that they've decided it's much to do about nothing. But your thoughts on the whole controversy between Beauty and the Beast and do you really think it's going to affect it at all long-term? No, no, I don't. It's I've, I've reached the point now where like, I am so tired of like political opinions. I'm even tired of my own political opinions. So I, I don't really like, I don't see the point in boycotting something because uh, you know, you, you disagree with their social stances or political stances. I had a conversation with someone who was telling me, yeah, I'm done watching uh, Matt Damon movies because Matt Damon is, uh, he's anti-gun. And I'm like, what, you know, if you were to boycott every actor that you disagreed with politically, there would not be, there wouldn't be any movies left to watch. Um, you know, as far as the Beauty and the Beast thing goes, I think that, I think that it's not going to turn out to be what people are expecting it to be. I think it's, we don't, we don't know anything about it and there's not really like a lot of, um, you know, there's not a lot of detail. They, they just made mention of it. I've heard it's not going to be that apparent or it's not going to be that, how should I say that prevalent in the movie. It's just an underlying theme within the movie. It's not, it's something that may be shown in for a few minutes only, but it's not going to be something that the people are going to, the movie's going to hang on or people are going to be able to, to take as a major takeaway. They're going to be more entranced with what Emma Watts is doing, what the beast is doing, the interaction, the CG effects, the songs, the music. That's what I think they're going to be going on. It just looks like it's going to be a fun movie for Disney and, and people just need to just set those things aside and just have your kids enjoy it. They want to go see it let them go see it and let them enjoy it and let them experience it because Disney is not going to do something that's out there or so blatant or so overt, or it's going to take up half the movie that that's going to be, you know, just let them go and enjoy the movie for goodness sakes. Right. Right. It'll be a brief thing. I guarantee you. And they're not going to show two dudes sitting there making out with each other, like hardcore. It's that they're not going to do something like that. They, they're probably not even going to barely focus on, you know, the bell and the beast kissing at some point in the movie. It's just uh, the entire thing is getting blown out of proportion. 
So that's uh, our opinion on the Beauty and the Beast. If you have a dissenting opinion or if you like something that, that maybe supports our theory that, that for the most part people are not going to mind, it's going to be a huge hit regardless, send us a note, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, popculturecosmos on Twitter, Humanican Media on Twitter, popculturecosmos and Humanican Media on Facebook. Indeed, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this various subject or any other subjects that we deal with on the show on a weekly basis, either the PCC Multiverse or Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, we're going to hit the break right now, but when we return, we're going to come back with our last two topics on today's show, our choices for what you should binge on television, and then also as well, it's March Madness, and what better way to celebrate than our own Final Four in Superhero Land. We'll tell you our thoughts on who they should be, I'll have my choices, and Josh will have his, coming up right after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. Rob McCallum Films is back in 2017 with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. All right, and we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm along here with my good friend, Mr. Josh Peterson, director of the Ghost Toasters, and also the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanican Media. If you want to check out all of our good stuff, please start off with our awesome site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, where you'll see my latest article on the top 25 films from me that I like. And I'd hope that you will be able to share your thoughts, too, because we'd love to post them. And actually, we might even say it on the radio as well. So let us know your thoughts on that. I know Josh will be sharing his top 25 soon, and this is like the third time I've given him the evil eye to do so. Uh, and also as well, check out his great review on all that as well. And Brian's review on Pixel Story. That uh, is something Brian from the Super Bros Game Station podcast uh, has shared his thoughts on the PC and PS4 downloadable title, A Pixel Story. So you want to check out his thoughts as well, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So before we get into our final four in regarding uh, superheroes, and I picked that topic for you because you are our man in the know when it comes to comic books. But I wanted to talk a little bit about TV because we don't talk about TV as much as I like these days because it's all been movies and video games and, and uh, various things of pop culture, esports. We've been talking about so many things. We talk about pop culture, land sports and other stuff. We don't get to talk about TV as much as I like. So I want to ask you, what are three shows that people need to go ahead and hit that button to go ahead and start binge watching right now or after the show, I mean? Ooh, you know, I don't get to watch TV as much as I'd like, but I will tell you this. Right now, I'm really into Black Sails. This is the last season of the show, and they are – I've been disappointed a little bit with what's going on. I don't want to give you guys any spoilers, but it's it's only four seasons, and each episode – each season is ten episodes, so it's easy to get through. That is definitely a show worth binge-watching. I'd also recommend Daredevil is another good one. There's two seasons and the defenders is coming on. Uh, Iron fist actually premieres tonight. So, you know, you can watch all those shows leading up to defenders, but I definitely recommend daredevil. 
out of, uh, you know, out of the four of those shows. And uh, another one that I do like a lot is The Flash. It's uh, the CW's multiverse is getting so hard to keep up with now. But, you know, before they start adding in all these extra characters, The Flash, the first two seasons of The Flash, definitely good for binge watching. I would recommend that one completely. And I have to say Game of Thrones, man. That's like, that's my top binge worthy show. That's the only one that I can actually sit there and watch the season from start to finish. That is an easy one. We talked about that on last podcast, the Pop Culture Cosmos show, and you can listen to our thoughts on that, but that's too easy. Too easy. Oh, man. I I know. I know. It's completely unoriginal, and I, I just, I'm trying to think of a fourth show here. I got... Let's see. Uh, they did come up with four. That is four right there. But it was supposed to be three. But the, oh, hey, it. we're good then. Hey, yes, yes. All right. All right, there you go. I was going to do just three, but you know what? Why not throw another one in there? And we'll start off with with what I think is going to be the the show that you need to watch the most, and that's the Americans because of everything that's going on with you know. I don't want to get all politically stuff and involved again. I mean, getting a little bit heavier in the last segment on that. But if you've not seen any of the seasons of the Americans, uh, I just, I truly recommend that, that FX series out there. If you could find it, either get the DVDs, Blu-rays, or be able to stream it somehow. Cause the Americans definitely with, with what's going on in today's environment is, is even more relevant. Now I've always been a sucker for timeless. I know it's go- going on in it's uh, 16 episodes and that may only be, ending up with 16 episodes. I know our good friends at the TV ratings guide do not have the highest of hopes on the series being retained. So if you get a chance out there and you truly like time travel stories, although lately time travel stories on television have not worked very well ratings wise, check out timeless, at least the 16 shows that have been put up there. Cause I definitely think it's worth watching Legion uh, from FX as well. Going with uh, another FX show. I think Legion uh, introduces a lot of people to the X-Men Marvel universe as far as that's concerned. So it's definitely a, a de- definitely been a good treat so far for people to watch. So get a chance. Won't be much of a binge, you know, three, four episodes, whatnot, but still it's a good watch. And that is, like I said, Legion. So definitely look out for that Legion on FX. And then last but not least, Kind of takes me back to my days working uh, in retail management, but Superstore. I mean, it's out there. It's crazy. It's it's good for a little chuckle now and then. So I definitely, if you get a chance, check out the two seasons of Superstore. So those are my four, and those are Josh's four. What are some of the TV shows that you want people out there to binge on? Just let us know. We'll, we'll shout that out for you. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com or also as well PopCultureCosmos or Humanican Media at Facebook, and then also Humanican Media and Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. Well, uh, let's close out the show tonight with, with some March Madness of our own. I know that it's that time of the year. Everybody's following their office pools. They've got their brackets. I know when we're talking right now, and this goes on the air, that my bracket will not only be busted, it'll be shattered, it'll be like run over by a car, it'll be broken in 10,000 pieces because it's going to be all over the place when it comes to my bracket is concerned. I'm going to ask you, if we were doing this based off of the superhero genre, what are your final four picks for superheroes? My top four would be, I would have Thor, Spider-Man, 
Okay, can't not have Spider-Man. Logan. Can, can we use Logan? He's a superhero as far as I remember. Okay, well, I mean, no, spoilers. After, after Logan, I'm not so sure what his status is, but okay. Okay, and Hellboy. I knew you were going to pick Hellboy because you mm-hmm. stated before on the show that is your favorite comic book character. Yes, so. got to have Hellboy, you know. Whoa, so those are some good ones, good ones indeed. So choosing that final four, and I cannot actually grab anyone one that you picked already because I let you go first. So seeing as that as that's the case, I'm going to go with the Hulk number one. Number two, let's go with Batman, who's got probably every gadget for every occasion. Number three, number three, I'm going to go with Blade. Number three, Blade, the half human, half vampire, with the man who can who can just wield that sword and slice and dice through vampires like no tomorrow. And number four, I'm going to go with Cap. You got to go with Cap, the all righteous do gooder that he is, the the man that that wants to always. Well, actually, now he's you know could be involved with Hydra. Now you never know. Hey, um, but on the bright side, at least he's not Batman. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's indeed. So what are your final four picks for superheroes out there? Please let us know. Give us a line. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos on Facebook. And if you like our PopCultureCosmos Facebook page, again, by Saturday night, March 18th, you will be in the running for a grand prize of Mass Effect Andromeda. PopCultureCosmos on Twitter. Humanican Media on Twitter, and Humanican Media on Facebook. So again, for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. We truly appreciate you listening and delving into the PCC Multiverse. It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the PCC Multiverse. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.
everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I'm Michelle, and with me is Diana, of course, and we have author uh, V.E. Ulette. I should have asked how to pronounce that name as well. I'm sorry, but she will be known as Eva tonight. Welcome, Eva. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so my last name is Ulette. Okay, I'm sorry. I have my my maiden name was the last name that everyone butchered, and my married name is the name that everyone butchered. So, I really, I'm usually more on top of asking how names are pronounced to make sure I don't commit the same same mistake. Not at all. I was looking at the spelling of your last name, and I, yeah, that. <laughs> there, there are different variations of it. We we get Levias. Levis, Levis, so we just kind of answered all of them. What's correct? Uh, it's Levis, um, but it kind of depends on who we're talking to. My husband always says Levis because that's what his uh, co workers always, how they always pronounce it. I always say Levis, so we just kind of confuse people with different pronunciations. Well, I, I do that with my first name as well um, because. You know, I write as V-E, which is a reversal of my initials. My, my name is Eva Vicky. My middle mm-hmm. And so growing up, my family called me Vicky. And mm. then when I started, when I got out of high school and I started working and going to college, I thought, well, I'm going to use Eva or I'll never use it. It's my grandmother's name. And it really is Eva, but we won't get into that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have... Um, People I have, have a friend in uh, in San Diego, and I had, I was mispronouncing her name for I think two years before someone finally said, you know, it's actually Eva. And it took maybe another six months to actually break myself of the habit of saying Eva. Yeah, maybe saying Eva. Well, so so I started using Eva, my first name in business, but then you know somebody would family would call on the phone, can I speak to Vicky and the, uh, my office would say, well, we don't have anybody here by that. <laughs> so, it, you know, I'm a little bit psychotic. <laughs> you all go with me. With me, with my maiden name, it's uh, Giovanazzo. And when I was a little kid, I still remember telling my mother, when I get married one day, I'm going to marry a man who's got a shorter last name than me. It's so long, and everybody mispronounced it. I mean, I I cut off teachers when they started to say it, and because it was always that bad. And so I married a Tierney, a nice Irish boy with a short Irish last name. And now that I'm getting more into writing, and we t- started talking about my pen name, and my focus is going to be on um, Italian history. So, like, I think I need to start including my maiden name again for my pen name. So I'm getting used to saying Giovanazzo again and having to spell it out to people and tell them how to pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's complicated. The whole issue of pen names, you know, what you call yourself is is kind of complicated too. So how'd you end up with then? So you went by Vicky and then Eva. So how did you decide to just abbreviate them? Well, so my first three novels were historical fiction and specifically nautical historical fiction. And that's, that's a real primary, it's probably a split market, you know, 50% male, 50% female, but the perception is it's mainly male. 
Mm-hmm. So I used the initials and reversed because EV sounds like Eve, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not, not much different than my actual first name. So I reversed the initials and the, and the, the um, use of initials in the author name is just to disguise your sex, you know, confusion to the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Isn't that what... Um, I think I read somewhere that uh, J.K. Rowling did the same thing because uh, an agent or a publisher or someone told her that no one would buy her books if they thought that it, they were written by a woman. So she just went by, she picked J.K. to to go by instead of her actual name. Well, I hadn't really heard any story about how how she picked her, her name to use as an author, but um, I, it seems credible. Story. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it was uh, her initials, one of her, her name, and I think her, like, her grandmother's name, too, was combined mm-hmm. in the, in her initials, because there was a whole biopic on her on Netflix that I watched. Oh, yeah. I probably watched the same one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll have to look for that. Yeah, it was um, a fun little piece. But tonight, we are talking about your book, which is Golden Dragon. And we finished it. We finished it on the same day, just like hours apart from each other. So mm-hmm. as soon as, <clears throat> as soon as we both finished it, the text messages started going, and we started <laughs> just analyzing it and debating because we had a pretty, uh, not heated, but a very passionate debate over uh, Dashwood versus Thorpe a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that that was fun to listen to last week. <laughs> And I'm I still won. Team Dashwood. I'm still Team Dashwood. I'm, there's going to be you. I, I think you said there's going to be two more books, right? Um, well, there's going to be at least one more. The one that I'm working on now, and I have to, you know, hope that a spark happens for a third, possibly. <laughs> well, I'm going to be Team Dashwood at least. I mean, for the second one, especially is I've got hope, especially at the end of the this last book. So. I've got hope that, you know, Dashwood could come in and just steal everything away. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> I, I like the the whole discussion of Team Dashwood versus Team Thorpe, I guess. Uh, <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> yes, and I think because we are in the age of steampunk, there wouldn't actually be brawls. It would be a duel between the two. <laughs> I see some gloves smacking people upside the face, that sort of thing. And in that situation, Thorpe studied in Edinburgh with Dr. I can't remember his name right now, but the doctor who clearly won that duel. So Dashwood would not stand much of a chance, unfortunately. Don't underestimate the underdog. (laughs) Well, they could be scrappy, you know, they, okay. Underdogs usually are scrappy. I'll give you that. But He's Scottish, and he's brilliant, and I don't think Dashwood would win. <laughs> Dashwood's looking. <laughs> <laughs> he has that. He definitely does, and I really, and it's not like I didn't like him, because I totally liked him up until I met Thorpe, and then it just, it just switched, you know? He just slid down just barely like half a notch it wasn't even a full notch well what and now a question for you this way michelle and i can stop debating uh dashwood versus thorpe um 
what went into making these two characters? What were your thoughts on this and the influences? Well, Dashwood, to be honest, at least in my mind, is a is a bit of a red herring. Mm-hmm. Because when you first meet him, when Miriam first meets him, you think, oh, you know, the, this is this is the couple in the book. The, the, these are going to be the the two that are matched up. And then I, I don't like to do the expected. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wanted to show that Dashwood, little by little, is kind of a conventional person, you know, and that that's why he wasn't really a, a, a good match for Miriam because she's not an unconventional person. So um, that, you know, I, I kind of set that up that way, that first you're led to believe that Dashwood and Miriam are going to be a couple, but then it, it story kind of goes in, in different directions. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so you're Team Thorpe too. <laughs> Team Thorpe too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but yes, I'm. <laughs> so, as far as you know, Miriam is really unconventional, and she definitely blazes her own trail, and she doesn't really care what anyone thinks that she's supposed to do. And if someone thinks she's supposed to do something, she kind of does the opposite. I loved her. I loved her character. Yeah, I did too. And, you know, coming from her her cultural background, you know, women aren't really or weren't really supposed to, to be that, you know, that independent. They're supposed to be a little bit more submissive and kind of stand back in the background. How much of her um, culture influences her actions? Well, I think there's a great deal of uh, cultural influence, but it for me, it's more not tied to her um, upbringing in Iran as much as of women overall in the 19th century. Now, the story takes place, even though it's an alternate history sort of place, uh, uh, world, roughly in 1820. So at that time, women had no legal status. They, they weren't really people in the sense that you you couldn't own, own property. You couldn't bring a case in law and, and so on. You had both in Europe and I think in the Middle East, there was women were dependent on men for economic well-being. South America, too. My book starts in the mid-1800s. I want to say like roughly 1860. And the same thing there. The women were dependent upon the men for their economic well-being. You had to marry. You couldn't make a life outside of uh, a man for yourself. Yeah, that's right. So, mm-hmm. so these factors have tremendous influence on the character and her motivations and what she's trying to, um, you know, trying to build a life for herself is kind of independently is, is sort of a um, subversive act, you know, <laughs> revolutionary act. Um, so her, her culture and the, the times that this character is living in has a tremendous influence on on um, on her, on what she's on the life that she's trying to build for herself. And um, you mentioned just now that that you know this the story takes place in 
a slightly alternate reality, but I really liked how you kind of made it so seamless that you kind of forget that it's a an science fiction book that are not not necessarily science fiction, but but fantasy, right? Yeah. Fantasy. Thank you. So you kind of wove it together so seamlessly that it sounded plausible that there could be flying ships and that a crack ship captain like Thorpe was a you know a normal thing for any navy to have. <laughs> I thought it was really well done the way that you did that. Well, thanks. Uh, I, I read a description about um, certain types of historical fantasy where they say it's historical fiction with a quarter turn to the fantastic. So kind of like <laughs> that, that description. Well, one of the things I loved about it was um, it's so refreshing to read a steampunk style book. Cause I mean, it's steampunk as with the, the crack ships and things. Um, but to get it from somewhere outside of London and to look at, um, Algiers and the South Pacific and China. Just, um, I found, I found it that part of it, the setting was refreshing. So many of these have just been done in London that it actually turned me off. I was like, I'm tired of reading about London in the 1800s. Yeah. A steampunk in particular, I think is there. The majority of it is set in Victorian age, London mm-hmm. uh, or England at least. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was very intentional. I wanted to get away from the strict, strictly Eurocentric setting and characters. So mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to, you know, have uh, have something outside that that kind of colonial setting. Well, you and did quite well with that, I think. What, pardon me? Yeah, I think you did quite well with that. I really, like I said, I really love that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a uh, it's a it, it's a challenge, of course, because for me, I do a lot of reading around, um, you know, these various settings, Algiers and South Africa, and then um, the the Pacific, you know, the um, South China Sea region and the Celebes Sea. And, yeah, I think there's a lot to get wrong. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of possibility for going wrong there. <laughs> and so let me just check here. Uh, and uh, I just made a note while we were talking. So are we um, in the next book that you're working on, are we going to find out what Miriam did to get so indebted to the British government that they can send her on these almost suicide missions and, she basically has to accept it. Well, the the original the original impetus was they helped her get out of Iran, mm-hmm. and then of course there's always well we'll help you but in exchange for, and the exchange for was the adventure that takes place in, in this book Golden Dragon, but I think by the end now we see that that she's she's or, or at least I've set up for another adventure, right? That they're going to send her off to do something else. But I, I think at this point, at the end of this book, she's choosing to stay in this life. She could, even at the beginning, she could have backed out, you know, she could have said, well, you know, this isn't, this isn't for me. Sure. 
I'll go back to Algiers and then make her own way wherever. So I think that she's become uh, enchanted with the, with the life, with a risk-taking life and with an adventurous life and with a uh, life that, that has a level of independence that she's seeking. So I think it's not so much that, that now at the, at the conclusion of Golden Dragon that she's being coerced or forced as much as um, kind of writing it for what she can get out of it. And I like the fact that, um, you know, what she touched on with her liking it and um, wanting more of it almost, um, well, I don't know, would you call it like maybe addiction or is this just the way of life that she wants? Think maybe she's addicted to the adventure yeah I, I think it's those things that she had not really imagined the the um, level of independence and, and adventure that she could achieve until she got on the on the ship and then became kind of enchanted with the with the the um, sailing and mm-hmm. with the feeling of liberty and, and freedom Especially, you know, that extra thing of being disconnected from terrestrial setting. Yeah. So, yeah, I think she's, it, it, it's not so much a coercion anymore, if it ever was, as mm-hmm. much as, um, you know, a, a sort of risk-seeking now that she's discovered within herself. And then... And I think that in and of itself is unique um, and something to be looked at where you have the concept of a woman who gets addicted to this adventure. Because typically it's always the man who's addicted to the adventure. The man who can't sit still in one place, who wants to just go everywhere. Um, she's almost, if you allow me the liberty, 19th century James Bond-esque, pretty much. <laughs> and yeah. You know how... Um they talk about an elevator pitch for books. You know, mm-hmm. what's your book about? Tell me in one sentence, what's your book about? So, so early on, I, I was describing Golden Dragon as the new Ms. Marvel meets James Bond. Ooh, <laughs> um, I love it. <laughs> you guys know who Ms. Marvel is? Yeah, I do. You know, you know, okay, Michelle. I do. <laughs> I don't know with all the, I don't know what comics you know, what you don't know. So this is, Miss Marvel. Love so, Miss Marvel. Yeah, me too. I love G. Willow Wilson. I admire her a lot. I read uh, this book as sort of research for Golden Dragon. This is her book, um, The Butterfly Mosque. Ooh. And it's a, um, it's a nonfiction about her conversion to Islam and her, her courtship and marriage to an Egyptian man. Really interesting. Really interesting book. Really interesting read. And that's a beautiful cover, too. Yeah, isn't wow. it? Very, mm-hmm. very pretty. It, I, I think it's the book has a couple of cover variants. You know, how they have one that's the hardcover and one that's the paperback and one that's the UK edition. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that that... That was my like one sentence description for Golden Dragon, but I always had to qualify it, or I felt that I had to qualify it as James Bond without the misogyny. 
because you know there i have either of you ever read ian fleming the james bond novels no i didn't the books not the books well there's there's plenty wrong with the movies (laughs) my problem is a lot of people are probably going to hate me and I'm probably going to get hate mail after this, but I've tried to watch the movies and I fall asleep every single time. Um, I can't watch them without falling asleep. I think I made it halfway through um, the Pierce Brosnan one. I'm that bad with it. Um, And I just, I gave up. I can't do it. I figure if I'm going to break that way with the movies, I'm not even going to try the books. The books, the books. I've only read the first one, Casino Royale, and it, it's a, it's a good kind of a absorbing adventure story. But oh, there's some mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> stuff in there, you know. So yeah, I always feel like I'm gonna distance myself from, from that aspect. <laughs> well, with names like was a pussy galore, and I mean, I don't even remember the other names. How can it not be misogynistic? And then, you know, they're referred to as the Bond girls. Yes, that's right, the Bond girls. Women, you know, they're not girls. I, I kind of object to this um, proliferation of girl titles. You know, the girl on the train, <laughs> Bond girl, all the girls, and none of them are girls. <laughs> <laughs> they're all women, you know. If they were, it would be a really bad, bad story. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I guess maybe it was kicked off by the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. not a girl by any stretch of the imagination. No. That is true. Yeah. And but, I think maybe it also harkens to our society's um, obsession with youth, where we'd yeah. rather have a girl, a young girl in a situation versus a woman. Yeah. But who doesn't love Lizbeth Solander? Mm-hmm. I, I, kinda, I love a woman that kicks butt that way. We all do. That's why yes. she's so popular. Yeah, I think that was one of the only things I liked about that book was her. Oh. <laughs> I had so many. It was such a rough book for me, uh, but I liked her and I kept reading for her. Yeah, I, I pretty much read all, all of them, the whole trilogy. I, I listened to them, which may make it a little easier because I... I grant you that that first book, for me, it was very slow up until the time, you know. It was, there was a lot of, happening. <laughs> there were a lot of names. That's the only thing that I had a problem with was they, there was, there was such a big family tree that you kind of lost track of who you're even reading about at, at certain times. Well, I think. Um, possibly listening to the audiobooks helps with that, especially mm-hmm. with the um, foreign names of cities and places and so on. That you get the, oh, you know, the professional pronunciation and it sticks. Right. <laughs> well, as far as um, as far as the research that you did, do you have any background, any nautical background? Because your descriptions of the ships and how they work. It was really detailed and, and really, I mean, you knew what you were talking about. Well, thanks for that. Um, no, I have none. It's all from books. Um, wow. So, you know, I did a lot, a lot of reading from my first 
three novels about the Royal Navy of the 19th century, the um, Royal, English Royal Navy, and the battles and, and the culture, you know, what was happening in, in, the two, in the countries that were at war at that time. And their politics and their religion and all kinds of detailed stuff. So I guess if I belong to a fandom at all, it's for Patrick O'Brien's books. Are you familiar with those at all? The Aubrey Matron books? I am not. How about you, Michelle? I don't, the, the name sounds familiar, but I don't think I've, I, I know I haven't read them, but I think the name sounds familiar. So there was um there was a movie Master and Commander mm. a few years ago. Oh yes. Yes. So that Master and Commander is the first book in a twenty book series by Patrick O'Brien. Okay. It's all historical naval nautical fiction. But gotcha. it's like the pinnacle. <laughs> yeah, my husband and my father in law made me watch that movie Master and Commander about twenty times within a one month. <laughs> I'm spent right after it came out on DVD. So you're familiar with that one. Possibly he's a big Patrick O'Brien fan. That movie was a mashup of incidents from various books, which I didn't really care for too much, but mm. it's a good movie. They did a good, they did a good job with all the, um, the shipboard scenes and the gals and stuff, I think. Um, but no, I, I'm not a sailor of any type. In fact, I'm a little afraid of what they call blue water sailing, which is when you get way out there and you can't see land at all. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's kind of terrifying. Um, so there you go. <laughs> and how did you does, how did you create the non-such as far as you know figuring out how a ship would fly if it was even possible? Um, well, to return to your comment that it, you know, all these details seem seem very authentic and so on. From the other side, like the the side of readers and say, real sailors, they probably think it's terrible, <laughs> <laughs> terrible light on detail, won't work, nothing to do with reality. So that's that's the other side of it. So the the challenge is really to strike a balance between, um, you know, too much detail that may satisfy a certain readership that is really into the, the workings of 19th century tall ships and so on. And just enough detail that someone gets the feeling like, yeah, this is possible, which I'm glad to hear that you got that feeling. <laughs> um, so the the I, I know just a little bit of basic stuff about early flight and early air, aircraft and my husband is a private pilot or was you know back in the day when he was actively flying so I talked to him a little bit about how the how the the physics of it and he told me well they weren't really figure out until World War one aircraft this business of the elevator which is the the um, mechanism that pushes the tail of the plane down during takeoff so that the nose is pushed up mm -hmm. and that depresses the nose of the plane on descent so that you get that um, 
okay. know, ability, ability to land. <laughs> yeah, that's my rudimentary under, understanding of physics of flight. Wouldn't work <laughs> at all, of course. And I was told so by some early readers that are true sailors. So that's <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not going to work. <laughs> You and I have talked um, offline about <laughs> diversity in books, and then you did a wonderful post for me uh, that went up today, in case anybody um, wants to check it out. It's at creatingherstory.wordpress.com. And I want to touch base about um, the diver- diversity, and this is a very diverse book. I wasn't expecting it to be so diverse with um, you've got Miriam and her you know, with her being uh, Middle Eastern. But then we go into um, South Africa and we deal with the slaves um, and then the um, slave trade with the women and the one wonderful character who is named this, the slave woman's name. I forget her name. Huh? huh? In um, the Golden the golden the Dragon, Crunk? Yes, thank you. I have absolutely adored her character. Such a great character. Um, talk to me a little bit about your, um, your diversity plans for this or your thoughts on creating such a diverse book. Well, again, I wanted to get away from just having the characters be Englishmen or Frenchmen or, or just strictly European or, or Amer- I haven't really done much with Americans other than vilify them in my, <laughs> in my fiction, but um, so I, you know, it was, it was purposeful that I wanted to, I wanted to show characters, even if it's just a glimpse of them, say in South Africa as, as real people, you know, that, that had, um, facets to them other than just their nationality mm-hmm. also. So I, I wanted to sort of humanize the, the characters from various um, ethnicities and cultural backgrounds in the, in the context of the story. So that, that was important to me to do. Um, also, you know, I, I think the whole issue of having uh, diverse characters in your fiction is, is really important because everyone wants to see themselves reflected in, in literature mm-hmm. and TV shows and movies and books novels, poetry. I think it's really important to, to do that, to try for that. Even though, you know, it is sort of a fraught, um, a fraught subject or approach as I, I tried to um, bring out in that, in that article, in the post mm-hmm. that I wrote for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, there's, there, there's always a lot of push and pull and, and, people that think that they don't need to think very hard about, about writing diverse characters. Whereas I am kind of scared to death. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it, but I'm, I'm frightened about it at this, at the same time. I don't blame you. My NaNoWriMo book, um, I've got some Japanese characters in there because it deals with the internment camps and the Italians in the internment camps. And of course they're going to run into the Japanese and so I've got a friend who is Japanese and he has offered to read, read my story so that I can make sure. And, you know, I didn't, 
even think about it until um, until the post of two days. I was just like, I told him about it. And he's like, oh, I'd love to read it. You know, my I had family who was in the internment camps, and I was like, oh, great. Didn't you know? Didn't think anything of it. And then once you know, you posted your article. I was like, oh, this is such a good idea because of this. And you know, given that he's a friend who's also a writer, you know, he could give me some good points on it if I screwed stuff up. That that's a wonderful situation, you know. Mm-hmm. I really admire Julie Rose um, that you had on because independent, independently she sought out um, a review from someone in Tunisia. Really? So she just went on her own and, and contacted somebody, I think through Tumblr. Okay. Um, con- you know, made a connection with somebody, was bold enough to ask, would you review my, my manuscript, my book? And I, I just think that's wonderful that, you know, to, to, and you need to do it. You need to go and actively seek out uh, the opinion of the, the communities that you're writing about. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really important. So recently, I read this book, Hamilton: The Revolution. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a book all about the production of the play Hamilton. Oh, yes. And what was really moving was how much the portrayal of the founding fathers by people of actors of color, mm-hmm. how, much meant, you know, how much it meant to the, the place creator, to the actors themselves, to the whole production crew, and finally to the audiences. Um, so I, I think it's really important to, um, to write diverse characters, to, to portray them, to see yourself portrayed. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, um, I liked with your book with um, the scene in South Africa with her dealing with the slaves, um, you know, in the, the dinner party where I was literally in my car rooting for her out loud um, during my lunch break. And I'm sure people that are walking in out of my office building were like, what the hell is she yelling about? Because um, I was totally rooting on Miriam and her, her take on it. And, you know, I like that it's not just that you covered the, um, the people in a respectful manner. It's the fact that you touched on some serious issues um, that still resonate with today that you could totally hear through that language. And, you know, that I, I commend you for doing that because I think that's so important too with covering diverse uh, characters. And as far as um, now, you know, this, you could, consider this mainly a love story between, well, not mainly, but, you know, a prevalent story arch is the love story between Thorpe and uh, Miriam, or as some people would like to consider it a love triangle between Dashwood, Thorpe, and Miriam. Um, but your your book is really about empowering women. There is a lot of strong, <clears throat> strong female characters, even the golden dragon is a fierce woman that you really don't want to mess with. Um, did you go into your story with the intention of creating a really strong cast of female characters? Yeah, I did at least for the protagonists. So for this book, I wanted, I wanted a female protagonist and I wanted, I wanted her to be an ordinary woman. You know, I didn't want to give her, um, superpowers or have her be a real Laura Croft Tomb Raider type of character, although 
people love those characters, you know. And, and in fact, I had a reader comment on one of my one of my uh, my first novel that ha- it has sort of has a dual protagonist again, but the main protagonist is male, and then he ends up hooking up or eventually marrying a Spanish American woman. And I had a reader tell me that I had missed a real opportunity to make her a kick-ass heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, it, if you're going to do historical fiction, it's got to be kind of realistic. <laughs> <laughs> and so to have a woman character, you know, beating up men and being super aggressive and um, warrior-like is not very realistic for early 19th century uh, so, you know, I, I did want a female protagonist, but I wanted her to be relatable as an ordinary woman that sort of uses her wits instead of uh, ability to fight. Um, Krunk is more the character, the warrior character. Um, but it, it was intentional that, that uh, you know, I, I'm interested in certain things and that's what I want to write about. I'm interested in social justice and um, gender equality and gender roles. Uh, so these are the things that I want to write about, but I, I hope to do it in, in, if you will, a lighthearted way. You know, I don't want to be super serious. In fact, I don't want to be serious at all <laughs> for the most part. I got, I got, well, I found Miriam to be a role model. I, I really, you know, reading through, I think she is definitely a role model, especially for um, Middle Eastern girls, where you have this character that they could get behind who um, she's strong, she's independent, she kind of bucks the system a little bit, but yet she still carries so much of um, her culture with her and she still honors her culture without having going too far into the religious aspects of it. So I yeah I, th- I think you managed that. Oh good yeah I, <laughs> I wanted to you know have her be a person of integrity, uh, mm-hmm. not not terribly religious or or, or terribly um, you know stuck within the the role that she thinks that women should should be in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah those those were intentional themes in, in the book, but I hope that a lighthearted tone comes through. <laughs> but yes, I think Thrax helps with that. He's definitely um, got that bit of a lightheartedness, even when he, I suppose, is tearing out uh, somebody's throat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> now, with, speaking of Thrax, um, when I brought up the idea of naming our bearded dragon that we're getting this weekend, Thrax, which I just love that name. Um, the first thing my husband did was do a Google search of the name Thrax. And it turns out he's, uh, it's also the name of the son of Ares, um, god of war in Greek mythology. Um, did mythology actually influence your creation of this critter? Uh, no, I, I read that question and I thought, well, that's, that's news to me. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I I didn't know. Um, so Thrax uh, is supposed to be the ultimate Thracian, and Thrace was a historic place. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Sometimes it's it's difficult with 
that far back in history, but Thrace was um, a region covering Greece, Turkey, and Bulgaria. So it's a big region. And I think it's um, where Spartacus is from. Mm-hmm. Huh. Which makes sense, yeah, because um, Thrax, Ares' son, um, was, it was from the Thracian region was where he was located from. So. Yeah, so I didn't know about Ares. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might as well were commenting that, that cat names and go make really good dragon names. Like, you could totally picture, I mean, you got the cat Thrax, and now we've got, we're going to have the dragon name Thrax. Smog will go great as a cat name. Falcor, um, you know, they, and, and both sides. And I'm still trying to talk my husband into letting me have a reptile named Fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I totally think that would be a great reptile name. And this is coming from the girl who has a tortoise named Zippy. So I'm just saying. <laughs> so what do you, what do you two think of Thrax as a character? Do you think, he's just a sidekick or do you think that there's more there? You want to go first? Inhaled at the same time. <laughs> I think there's more there. Um, I especially think there's more potential for there to be more there. I think um, like Miriam in the, in this book, he's unassuming where he kind of like Miriam, he steps back. He can, he can analyze the situation from the side and nobody assumes that he's going to turn into this tiger and kill you. Um, so he's very unsuspecting like that. And Miriam in a lot of ways is, is like that. Um, where I feel like she can, she, she can shrink herself down and be small and nobody suspects that she could be this dangerous operative. Um, but I think this is almost like their origin story for their, for their relationship. And I feel like there can, there can be more and that there is more that he's bonded to her. Cause obviously he had to go with her everywhere she went. Um, almost like what was it? Um, in Havenhurst. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you've had a, ch- a chance to check that out Eva yet. Um, but she's got those, these little flying cats. Those are her sidekicks that, you know, are bonded to her, um, and then to her. So with, without them, she would get sick. That's how bonded they are. So I kind of feel like there's a similar symbiotic relationship between her and Thrax, at least at this point. What about you? Well, I think, so there was, well, I, I first of all, I love Thrax in that one scene where the, um, where he's swimming after her and they whack him over the head. I, I was reading that chapter and I was sitting there going, no, why would she do that? <laughs> and I'm so used to Diana being ahead of me in the books that I almost text her. And, <laughs> and I said, Can you believe that, that this just happened? And I'm really glad that I didn't because I was actually ahead of her at that point. But, um, <laughs> but there was a part when once um, Miriam had, evacuated all of the um all of the girls and they were on the the tabletop mountain um setting up the the fire and she had mentioned that they were looking at her like she was a witch and she you know she kind of thought well what if i wonder what they would think if they knew that my familiar was out there (laughs) um i kind of think that really um 
really describes their relationship really well where she, he's, you know, he's basically her, her bodyguard now. Like if Thorpe or, or Dashwood is ever unable to help her or if she's unable to help herself, you know, Thrax will always be there to step in. Um, but I, I hope that he's, he's in the next story because I really liked him. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny that you bring up the scene where he gets whacked over the head uh, because in Chad Thuman's book, another book author, um, in The Undesirables, there's a dog in there. And I was maybe, I wasn't even quite halfway through. And this dog gets himself into trouble. And I'm one of those people where if I'm watching a movie and an animal gets killed, that's it. I'm done. I can't watch the movie. It's, I turn it off. I'm over it. And, um, and so when that happened, I started giving Chad a hard time. So it's like, is this dog going to die? I'm, I'm getting attached to this animal. Is it going to die? And so I was picking on him a little bit about it. And then I get to that point and I'm like, son of a monkey. I, I gave Chad this hard time and I didn't even expect this with this book. This cat better not die now. Yeah. I liked it. I liked the character of duck, the, the German Shepherd in mm-hmm. Jack Thurman's book. Um, I guess we're all just suckers for animal characters, huh? But um, you get super attached to them. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: I, I read that um, if you're going to have an animal character, especially in a fantasy book, that it that mm-hmm. it ought to stand for something. Um, you know, it, it, it's not just for uh, for the cute. <laughs> <laughs> That, that that animal character should be an aspect of the possibly of the main character's personality mm-hmm. or have something to do with the you know some something to do beyond just a pet <laughs> <laughs> I but, love that because yeah so often you know it's so easy to when you're writing to just do a pet that's just kind of a reflection like you either give it too many humanistic characteristics you make it too human and it loses its animal-like um aspect or you just make it such a caricature of what an animal can be that it has no uh, attachment and so i like that saying because then it means the animal actually has an attachment to the character but you know who doesn't like who wouldn't like a, a cat that can change size like a mood ring you know right that's why I was my husband. That's why we needed to go with that for the uh, bearded dragon. I'm like he's in this cage. He's going to be nice and small. We take him out of his cage, and boom, he's going to be a big old dragon. <laughs> Don't know if I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's like, um, okay, all right. <laughs> Just go with it. Just go with it. Yeah, you love it, honey. Just yeah. I end up having to tell him that a lot. <laughs> Well, when I when we got to that part where Thrax was huge, I had to go back and reread, and I, and I thought, "Am I reading that right? That he actually changed size?" <laughs> and and yes, yes, I was. But I think that you know you kind of set us up for that at the very beginning when she was introduced to to Thrax, and they kind of told her like, "Oh, you know, he's he's a Hellcat. You shouldn't shouldn't mess with him. Just stay away from him." So. There was a, a little, unintentional or intentional, there was a little foreshadowing that he would play 
a pretty big part, I think, once he selected Miriam as uh, as his human, as his person. Yeah, didn't like didn't like Maximus too much. They both wanted to pick Miriam as as their person, so there was you know the conflict there. <laughs> conflict, yeah. But that is so true, though, with animals too, where the animals pick the humans. Um, you know, yeah. I, my yeah. husband and I joke we uh, with every single one of our dogs. The dogs that we picked out for each other have been the other person's dog. Like the one, the long-haired dog I got for myself, the long-haired dachshund. I thought she was going to be girly. I wanted a long hair so I can brush her and put bows in her and so she could be all girly. I picked her out. So naturally, she's my husband's dog and this total tomboy. And then our short hair he picked out and she's a mama's girl. Animals in literature can be a lot of fun. I I love Lion Cat. Are you guys familiar with Lion Cat? This is Saga. Okay. I've read a little bit of Saga. Okay. Now, did that have some influence on who Thrax was? Um, No, I I didn't start reading Saga until after I pretty much was done writing Golden Dragon. Um, My my daughter had um, a whole bunch of them and uh, had told me a little bit about it, but so this lion cat is is the sidekick of a bounty hunter named the Will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about good names, you know, right. characters. And the lion cat only says one thing. He goes, "If someone's lying, the lion cat goes lying." <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so the Will asks the cat, you know, is is she lying? And he goes, he either says lying or it just goes rough. <laughs> Not lying, and the cat just goes rough, <laughs> walks away. That's a useful animal to have. <laughs> sure is. Sort things out for you. I think we've got one more question here because I think we've covered just about them all. We haven't gotten into the wonderful relationship with Miriam and her mother, her distant mother who comes to comes back to haunt her. Um, really in the end, at least she tries. Um, Go ahead, Michelle. Oh, no, you go. Oh, okay. I was just going to read the question. (laughs) So um, the question is, um, she pulls a lot of strings and influence, um, especially after, uh, even after Miriam flees. Uh, are there any plans uh, for her to make an appearance in the future novels? Do we actually get to meet this, this crazy woman? Um, I had not thought about that and uh, having her make an appearance. Uh, so both Miriam and Sara, her mother, are minor characters in my first novel. Okay. And, you know, then I, when I, mo- most authors get a seed, you know, some little idea that starts you out uh, down the path of writing a certain story. So my, my, my little seed for, for um, Golden Dragon was an actual true-life account of uh, capture of a woman by South China Sea Pirates. It's called, um, let's see if I, I wrote it down here, The Lady's Captivity Among Chinese Pirates in the, in the Chinese Seas. And the woman's name was Fanny Levio. 
Um, okay. Last name is L O V I O T. And her, uh, this uh, her incident that she wrote about was um, mid nineteenth century, so about eighteen sixties, eighteen fifties. And some of the some of the incidents that she describes of her experience of being taken off this merchant ship and held captive by by pirates. Um, appear in the book like they she describes being held on the in in this storage compartment on the deck of the pirate ship oh i hated that oh, part oh god really what the, <laughs> there were really the the creepy well, families there were really bug infested yes so i thought that well, chapter all the more terrifying to know <laughs> that that actually happened to somebody <laughs> all right truth is always stranger than in fiction, <laughs> with, with fiction, you've always got to try to be plausible. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? In real life, things happen that just didn't happen. <laughs> not, you know, they're very strange. Anyway, so that that true life account was kind of the seed that that started me thinking of a story. Uh, that and the title, my dad had suggested the title of. Um, of Golden Dragon. So I, you know, <laughs> wanted to make <laughs> something of it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I hadn't thought of, of bringing Sarah Albuye into the in, into a story, but would you like to see that? <laughs> yes, maybe that can help spark uh, book three. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you never know uh, where these things will take you. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit afraid, you know, that in in my books I've I've been kind of ageist <laughs> because Ma, I always seem to be vilifying the older generation, you know, the, the generation of these characters' parents. Like that's the way Golden Dragon ends, right? They mm-hmm. they start talking about, uh, or Maximus Thorpe says, "Do you ever think about how?" We always think that our that they were monkeys in our parents' day, <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of did a little bit of the same thing in my historical fiction that I, I made the one of the protagonists' father a, sort of a, a bad guy. You know? <laughs> so I'm a little little con- worry, always worried about who am I making the villain here? You know, who am I vilifying today? I think that mother would just make a great villain, if not a great villain, just a real thorn in Miriam's side. Just she's I like the idea, I mean, of even her from afar being having such an influence on Miriam, you know, part of the reason why she's running, um, getting that quote unquote fiance after her. Um, you know, working these schemes that you know, it's very plausible that she works such a big scheme and such a huge scheme that Miriam gets caught up in it. Whether it's an intentional one to pull Miriam in, in or not, it's almost like, I don't know, I'm obsessed with the show Shameless right now. And the dad in Shameless, Frank, he always has these horrible, scre- these horrible schemes that the kids wind up getting caught into, even though they're trying to stay away from their train wreck of a father. Are you, watch, are, you, huh? are you watching the American version or the UK version? I'm watching the American version. I usually, it's weird for me. I usually go with the UK version for almost everything first. 
but for some reason for this one I ended up with a US version. Yeah, I got into it too and I watched quite a bit of the American, you know, a couple of seasons of the American version. Mm-hmm. And then sort of early on when I was watching it, I went and watched the first episode of the UK version and it, it it's the same, you know, mm-hmm. of course. Um, so the scripts are, are exactly the same. A lot of the BBC shows when they come over to the US, they're exactly the same. Um, right. Death at a Funeral was a, a British yeah, movie. I saw yeah. That. I saw and both was, the American and the UK versions. Yeah, yeah, and I loved, I like both versions, but I think I like the UK version more. Um, or Attack the Block, a friend of mine, it's this obs- almost obscure English movie with, um, it's got one of the guys from Shaun of the Dead in it, and um, it's very British, and they when they brought it over to the US, it was, um, what was it, The Neighborhood Watch, or The Neighbors? The one where they end up having the battle aliens in the Costco. Oh, <laughs> that was based on Attack the Block, the British one. So, but I think I like the British version better of that too. Um, but yeah, that's it's usually the same, especially with the television shows when they translate them. They, uh, I don't know, some of them just don't. You don't necessarily need that U.S. translation, but I think it works for Shameless. I think the U.S. translation works because it's Chicago, and you've got a little bit more of an Americanized issues and troublemaking. Just to let you know, Frank shows up in the middle of Mexico once, Michelle, and he wakes up in the middle of Canada once too. So yeah, I watched um, maybe somewhere, if not the whole first season, maybe halfway through the first season. Mm -hmm. Um, But I loved it. I just haven't, I got distracted and I haven't gone back. (laughs) Easy to do. <laughs> there, there's so much out there. Oh, so yes. If we have a a little time left, I'd like I'd like to maybe hear some criticisms from both of you, like um, criticisms, and then or, or things that you'd like to see more of. It's always useful for me to hear, especially in a series. Like, if you like the triangle, you want to see more of. Dashwood, you're disappointed. Oh, Dashwood, I want to see more of Dashwood, and I want to see more of the Triangle. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> great up saying, huh? Yes, uh, I can jump right on top of that. That's at the top of my wishes. And I want to see more of Zara. I want to see more of her character in the next books. I want, you know, that I want to see more, more trouble from her. I think she'd make it just whether or not she's like a straight up villain, just a thorn, a pain in her ass, a pain in Miriam's ass, really, where it's like, oh, I gotta go deal with my mother again. Love to see that. Well, fiction, you gotta have that in fiction. <laughs> a lot of conflict. <laughs> Michelle. Michelle, your thoughts? I, I would love to hear more about Miriam's backstory, <clears throat> especially with, the fiance and the rumors, whatever the rumors were about her and her stepfather. Oh yeah. I and, and compounded with this woman that, that she saved this British woman. Um, I forget her name, but this little blonde prissy thing uh, oh. was going around saying stuff now too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like her. <laughs> I could have just left her on the Island. I would have been cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got to make it out. 
Current integrity. I also wouldn't mind learning more about Thorpe's backstory. I mean, he mentions at the very end, he starts mentioning a little bit about, you know, his, his father and how he got his, his eye color, um, his different eye colors and how, you know, that that's an injury that happened. Um, but he's such an interesting character that I, I think it would be fun to learn more about him. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of room to have fun with him. I think. Um, since you're both really avid readers, where would you place the book as far as genre goes? Do you think this is a young adult novel or not? I don't think so. Oh. Don't yeah, think- I don't think so either. And, and I'm not just saying that because I don't like young adult novels. Um, I think it would be... I mean, I could see a young adult liking it, Um I would probably place it with either like a new adult. If you, if you really wanted to place it out, you know, within a specific age genre, I would say um, good for 20 somethings, you know, college age, somebody who's, you know, Miriam is in a way trying to find herself and has an idea of who she is and where she came from. And I think that's a, and you know, it's a good book for, for girls in general to have this character like Miriam who, who has an, a sense of who she is when they're still trying to figure out who they are and having just somebody who, that they can look up to in that regards. Yeah, I think the characters are a little, um, a little too complex to put them in the young adult category. Um, I, I feel like maybe young adult, uh, the act, not, you know, not adults who like reading young adult, but actual young adult, you know, the, teenagers I, I feel like they might have a hard time relating to the characters just because they're a little beyond their scope if that makes sense yeah the, so this issue, issue of genres is, is kind of difficult um, well for me since all of my books tend to kind of be bleeding over into you know other areas um, this this one is possibly young adult, steampunk, historical fiction, historical fantasy. So it, it's really difficult to, um, from a marketing standpoint, to know where you should be concentrating your... <laughs> I would definitely put it into the steampunk category. Um, like when I was talking with the chef at Robin's Nest, um, when I, brought it, I, I described it as a steampunk book, and I happen to have it in my purse because really this is... Perfect per size, everyone. Seriously, <laughs> I carry this around in my purse uh, almost all month, and I was able to whip it out when I when I wanted to and, and read a chapter or two. Um, and so when I brought it out to him, I was like, "Oh, it's you know, it's steampunk." And he was like, "Oh, I love steampunk." And I I just passed the book over the bar to him, and he read the back, and he was like, "Oh, it sounds so great! I, I'm going to have to buy one when she comes in." Um, so yeah, I mean, a steampunk fan even, you know, considered it steampunk. So I would definitely put it in that regards. And I think steampunk in general would fall under historical fantasy. Yeah, well, that's true. It's quite a, it's quite a community. <laughs> <laughs> that it is, yes. <laughs> I've met, um, there's a steampunk Star Wars group. Oh, is that right? Yes. Yeah, we did a... It was funny because we did the, um, we were uh, cheering on people in January during the Disney race. 
uh, they do a half a half marathon, or I'm not sure if it's a full marathon or half marathon. I think it's a half marathon, and we are part of the section cheering people on in um, Star Wars costumes. Though I was the one rebel who had to show up in a um, Serenity outfit and <laughs> pissing off all the stormtroopers because everybody wanted the picture with me because uh, everybody loved my character. But then there was a group of um, steampunk uh, Star Wars uh, people. And it was, it, the costumes are always so interesting and so innovative. And it definitely lends itself to like this book with the airships and the innovation set with the history. Well, yeah, I hope it, I hope it finds its place in, in that audience. Uh, mm-hmm. I think so. Well, we're going to have some uh, steampunk people coming over at Boca de Oro. Um, because I obviously have to plug it because we're a little over a week away from that. <laughs> and yes. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see how the steampunk people enjoy the book. We're gonna be pushing it off to them. I d I don't think it's the only one in the festival, but at least uh, you can tell by covers because in the cover slideshow for the for the Boca de Oro uh, website, mm-hmm. there's a whole group of, of novels that that have that real steampunk look to them. I don't know if they are. There's a fan. There's a whole fantasy and uh, sci-fi section, and I have no clue what books are there. Um, so I don't know who's there, what's there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a steampunk uh, book or two, at least in that section. Yeah, some of those covers really look like they're in the steampunk genre. I'll have to go back and look now. <laughs> Well, I still maintain that you guys have to set up a laptop so I can watch. And, <laughs> and, and anyway, I'm going to have to figure out whether or not I can do a laptop or if we're just going to have to do a phone for you. So that you I can- don't care. Just just prop me up against, like, a wine bottle. <laughs> <laughs> we'll totally do that. We, we can do that for you. <laughs> well, I think we are out of time this evening. No, I know we could probably go for another hour. Mm-hmm. Just but thank you so much for joining us tonight, Eva. It was really fun to, to speak with you after obsessing over your book all month. <laughs> thank you. It's my pleasure. It was yes. a lot of fun talking to you both. Yes, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. And you can come next week. Anybody who's watching or listening, come next week and meet Eva. And uh, check out her book and pick up a copy for yourself at Boca de Oro because she will be there. And I'll be the cell phone propped up against the wine bottle. So, <laughs> cheering from Chicago. You'll be having Erin on, uh, Wine, Women, and Words, next week? Um, she isn't confirmed with us yet. Um, so I have to confirm and see if she is because she was at the AWP conference really recently. So I'm not sure if she's back from that yet or not. So I'll have to bug her and see if she's going to be available to join us next week. Well, this was a great experience, and I really appreciate your feedback. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. All right. Well, everyone, I hope you have a wonderful night. Now, starting next week, we are launching our – what month are we in now? March Um, book of the month, which is – we're switching over from fantasy into uh, nonfiction. I think this is our first nonfiction book that we're doing. It is. 
And we, I'm looking and seeing how many chapters we have to do. We have, let's see how many we have to do. Um, because I have, I just got my book and I haven't looked at it. We're looking at, I don't know, 200 pages. Somebody has. I use. I'm so bad about reading nonfiction if it's not like research based. So uh, Michelle usually has is dragging me, kicking me, and screaming, slight ever so slightly. So we're going to be reading Good Girls Revolt uh, next month. And you might know this from the Amazon series, Good Girls Revolt. Um, So this is actually the book that that TV show or that series was based on. Um, And Lynn Povich was one of the women in that lawsuit. So it's going to be a really interesting book. I'm excited to read it. And I'm equally excited to speak with her at the end of the month about it. Yes. Wow. I know. It's very exciting. (laughs) So we've got 11 chapters plus where are they now? So that's, see, 12. So we figure, what, three chapters a week? Totally doable. Yeah, that's totally doable. Well, I hope everyone has a good night. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with Erin. It's up in the air. But <laughs> uh, thank you, Eva, again. And everyone have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.